I want to talk to you this morning about the church that was not a church in our backstage in our backstage series. You know, I told you about how we're going to try to kind of take you into the kitchen of the restaurant and and be transparent about what church life is like and and even some things maybe you don't always get to see. And today we're going to talk about a church that that just wasn't a church. There's a, a lot of things they had failed on. You. You, uh, you, you've surely had this happen to you. You've heard this phrase, gosh, I'm 47 years old and I can't remember a time when I, when I hadn't heard this phrase uh, that you, you, you don't judge a book by the cover, right? Well, as a, as a guy that's written several books with several publishers, I can promise you everybody judges a book by the cover. That's what they do, uh, right, Robert? That's what they do. Robert works in, in publishing, and so that's why they spend so much time on covers and getting every little word right, because we look at covers and we go, ooh, I want to read it, or oh, I don't, right? But, but we've all had this happen where we outward appearances really don't dictate what's inside. Just, just a few days ago, I loved the title of this book. So I bought it. And then about halfway through, I thought, you know, um, okay, book, great title. And so they got my $12, you know, and, and so it just, the, the book itself didn't really deliver. And it wasn't bad. It just, it just wasn't, the title was way better than the content, right? But hey, you know, it, 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 it's, it, I got some things out of it, but, but the reality is sometimes we look at things and, or, or we look at people, man, how many times have you done this, right? You know, uh, you look at people and you think, boy, they must have a lot of money only to realize you don't know, no, they actually are bankrupt. Or I learned pretty, pretty early in marriage as a minister. I remember in the first few years of our marriage telling Michelle one time, boy, I tell you what, we don't ever need to compare our marriage to anybody because people are world-class fakers. They, and, and I don't mean fakers by deception. I don't mean that. I mean, people are just really good at, you know, keeping it back in here so that nobody out there dares know, you know, what it could be like on the inside. That's just human nature. And, and so the, the truth is there was this church and on the outside crushing it. You know, uh, for all of you middle schoolers, like Emoji Fire 100, you know, uh, one of those things. I don't know. I, I maybe shouldn't even say that because it dates me already. But... They were, like, they were like doing really well, but the truth was on the inside, no, they actually weren't. So let's turn to Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going. Very last book of the Bible, and uh, this is the church at, at Sardis, and that's not Sardis, Mississippi, that is Sardis over in Asia Minor, and, and here we go. So uh, Revelation chapter 3, and, and it's just six verses, and this is what Jesus said to that church, a, a group of people at a town called Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your deeds. Jesus says, I, I, I know what you're doing. And you have a name that is a reputation. You have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. Boy, just stop for a second. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being a church? Can you imagine being a church and, and, and this letter's delivered and and you're like, wait a minute, the, the whole community says we're like the place to be, except Jesus. He says you're not the place to be. I mean, this is, this is pretty heavy. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, verse 2, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. And so remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent 
Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come to you like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. That means that they've, they've not defiled the righteousness of God. And they, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father, before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the, the, the real question that we, we see there is how, how does a church get in this condition, right? I mean, how, how does a church get in, into this condition? You know, they, they literally are, by the, the, the standards of the city, they're the place to be. They're the place to go. But how in the world can they be called dead by the only person that should matter? I mean, there's only one opinion that you want, and that's the opinion of Jesus, right? And, and so how do they get classified as, as dead? And, and so I, I would say it to you this way. If, there's, if we could boil all of Revelation 3 down to, to one phrase, I would, I would boil it down to this one. They, were, they thought they were alive, but they were actually dead. And if you read the context of this, they were no longer hungry I believe in some ways they had they had lost their first love and I was going to say again like Laodicea conversion uh, manifests itself in hunger uh, right conversion or Ephesus not Laodicea but conversion manifests itself in consistent hunger something had happened something had happened that they had just derailed and and they had, they had lost this whole reputation for the inside there was decay. It, 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 was, it actually, they weren't even a church at all. They just, they just weren't a church at all. But, there, but if you notice by the overtones of what was said, there was a time when they were. There, he, he said, strengthen what remains. Repent, which means go back. So there was a time that, that they did have some hunger, but if you're talking about following Jesus Christ, I will tell you that conversion to Christ is a, the manifestation of that is that there's consistent hunger, that you're growing and that you not just became alive, you stay alive. And so how does a church get in, in this condition? Well, I'm going to give you a, a couple of highlights here. And one, one is I, I would say this, is that death comes when past victories define future perspectives. So how, did, how, did, how does a church die? How, how does a church actually die? What was, what was the problem here? Well, if you, you wouldn't, I wouldn't expect you to know, but, but Sardis was a place that, that was a cultural center. I mean, it was much like Cool Springs. It, it was a hub of a lot of commerce. It, it was a hub of, of a, a lot of life. And, and they, they obviously had seen really great times and yet, even as a church, they thought they were alive. Now, that's, that's the thing. Look, look here in verse 3. Look, in, look at what it says. I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive. In other words, you, you think you're alive. So there was a time when they were. And I, I want to tell you something, you guys. If there's, one, if there's one big takeaway from the church at Sardis, it's this. When it comes to practically doing this thing we call church in 2020, nothing, or I should say few things, few things are a bigger threat. Few things are a bigger threat than thinking that what you do today is working based on what you did yesterday. You see, this church, this church, I, I think, 
the overtones of this is they refused to move forward. They lived in past victories. Churches do it all the time. I mean, there, you, you, go, you go back and you look at some of our nation's greatest pillars of the gospel of Jesus Christ that in the 70s and the 60s used to be just forward thinking and very aggressive in how they reached their community. And then you know what? They arrived and then one day they looked up and they were like, where'd all the people go? There are churches right now all across America that used to thrive with people downtown and then the suburbs came and then they, they went down because they wouldn't change how they executed ministry. You see, we've got to be willing to forever, listen to me close, we've got to be willing to never change the message but always change the method. Did you hear me? We, we never change the message but we always change the method. We're having to think different in ways we, we've, we've never had to think before. When I entered ministry, we didn't, we didn't even have cell phones. Yeah, you know, it's weird. Now I have to think about everything when it comes to how people consume information. So does our staff. It's just a different world that we live in now. We can never alter our messages, but we have to alter the message, I mean the method in, of, of actually how we execute it. And I really believe this is a word from the Lord for our church today. You know, in every church there's life cycles. Churches are born, this one was born in 1985. They're born, they grow, they plateau, and then that every church goes through plateaus. They plateau, and then at that plateau, that's the crossroads. That's the crossroads. So now what are you gonna do? You see it in sports teams, you see it in business cultures. I mean, do you guys realize, for all of you, this isn't gonna make sense to any millennial out here. Just put in your mind, Blackberry. <laughs> Think about it. Put in your mind for a minute, Redbox. Blockbuster was the, the king of the hill. Redbox came along and said, nah, just a dollar. Put it wherever you, I'm mean, it's okay. And you know what, if you forget about it, just keep it. We'll just charge you 19 at your movie now. And then they were the king of the hill for about a second. And then this thing called Netflix pops up. I mean, it just that quick, boom, boom, boom. So, so we can't afford to live in the past or we're going to be a memory. I think there's another truth here when it comes to how does a church get in this condition. And the way I would say it to you is this way. Death comes when we blend with culture. You say, Jason, what do you mean when we blend with culture? Well, if you, if you look at, at a trend, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but there's a trend in Revelation. Have you noticed it yet? That many times these churches are becoming more like their culture. They're actually fading toward the middle, or in some cases, past the middle. There's a trend there. And I tell you, it, it is a really harsh audit. It's a harsh audit 
from Jesus. Can you imagine hearing this? That your church actually isn't a church at all. You think you are. And over time, this can happen to any well-intending church. There was a time in the life of Sardis where they were a church promoting the cross of Jesus Christ and the open grave of Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the way, they began to look way more like culture than they did the church of Jesus Christ. It made me think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.8. Look, look there, I got, it, I got it for you on the screen. Look at what Paul says. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know what? We, don't, we should never expect a lost, an eternally lost culture that craves the lost things of this world, the dying things, the unholy things. Don't get mad at people for that. Lost, I, I never forget, Dr. Roy Fish one time told us when we were young and in seminary, he said, fellas, don't ever forget, lost people act lost. They do. Don't get mad. That, that's exactly what they're supposed to crave. But we have the light. But understand at the same time, friends, that our message of the cross, it is going to be foolishness, just dumb, archaic. For all of you students, listen, it's going to be no easier for you. For those of you in middle school and high school, it's going to be no easier for you. I got friends right now in the UK. I've been told by missionaries over in the UK that their sons and daughters are the only Christians in their entire school. And they pay for it. They don't get invited to things. They get pushed out of things. We're going to have to understand that the foolishness of the cross is going to continue to, to confound people. And we, we have to understand that we can never alter that. But there's one other, other place that I want to point out to you this morning as well. And it, when it comes to how, does, how did Sardis get in this condition? And this is a big one, okay? And I want you to, to, to hear this. Death comes when we misinterpret affluence as anointing. Death comes when we misinterpret, when we miss the signal that affluence is actually anointing because it's not. Let me tell you something interesting about Sardis. Historical research shows that Sardis was perhaps, there, there's, there's some indication they were one of the first, if not the first city, small city, to have a mint, a, a coin for gold and silver coins. And so they were ahead of the time. They were known to have a very affluent culture. They were also known to have a very, very fast-paced wool textile industry. So, so a lot of the, the wool there that was coming into the provinces was in some ways, in, not exclusively, but, but it was also obviously coming out of Sardis. They were wealthy. They were a business center, if you will. But the problem is that they're... Somehow in, in, in their walking out their faith, they somehow began to feel as if their wealth was an indicator of God's favor on them. And I, I want to, in other words, that their financial security made them feel secure. Their financial security made them feel secure. And I want to tell you, Israel had a history of that kind of thinking. You see, let, let, me, let me explain to you why Israel was chosen. You've heard this phrase, the runt of the litter. A dog, little puppies, the runt of the litter. Israel wasn't chosen because they were the top dog, you know, on the totem pole. No, they weren't. They were chosen because if it was going to, if that little band of nomads 
was going to have anything good come from it, it was going to take a God to do it. They, they were the runt of the litter. And then somehow as God began to pour out favor on them and somehow as God began to open up red seas, as God began to give them a, a cloud by day and a fire by night, all of a sudden, we're the chosen ones. And that began to lead to their demise. It made me think about Amos. I, I probably have studied the book of Amos more than any other book that I've in, in the Old Testament. I, I've studied him a lot. I love Amos. Amos is my kind of guy. Amos was a farmer that God called to be a prophet. And uh, he was a, a, a picker of figs. In fact, I love Amos' style because one thing about Amos is all of a sudden God tells him, hey, I want you to go prophesy to the nation of Israel. And, and he says, okay. And then pretty much after he's done telling them what all God says, evidently he just goes right back to farming. You know, in fact, Amaziah, I think it was Amaziah, I had to go back and check my history, but, but in the book of Amos, He's preaching to the state church because they're corrupt and, and they've let God down and they've watered down the message. And so he goes to like the, the state prophet. So, and he goes up to him and says, hey, you know, you need to repent. And thus, thus saith the Lord and, and the state prophet of the state church says, go back to picking figs, you fig picker. That's basically what he says to him, literally. And, and Amos says, I tell you what, not only am I not going to go back to picking figs yet, let me tell you what's going to happen to your wife. And then, I mean, he, it's on, buddy. You know, Amos was afraid of no man. In my mind, Amos is about five foot six. You know, not shaven in a few days, and he's out to not make friends. But he, that's just kind of what Amos did. I love Amos. And this is what he said to Israel. It's, you, don't, you don't have to turn there, but it, it's out of Amos chapter six. And, he says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. That's a, a metaphor for the people of God. To those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. To those who recline on beds of ivory and they sprawl on their couches and they eat lambs from the flock, that is the best meat, and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise on the sound of the harp while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. You know what Amos is saying? He's saying, you live in affluence, but you're not broken over the people of God, the house of God. You're not broken over your nation. You, you sleep in beds with ivory frames, literally. They are frames made of ivory, and yet you don't even care that there are some people that have no bed at all. Now listen to me really close before you get ahead of me. I am not advocating a poverty theology. There, there, there is a sentiment in Christianity at times that, that money, that money is a bad thing. And that Jesus, look, the scriptures never tell us that money is a bad thing. It, it's, it's the love of money is the root of evil. The love of it. When, when you care more about how it makes you feel, there's nothing wrong with profit. That's one of the things that truly bothers me about American culture in the last 10 to 15 years is all of a sudden profits become an evil thing. Let me tell you, just, let me just go on record for the whole world to know if you have a job, if you have a J-O-B right now, 
If you have a job, let me tell you what you're the beneficiary of. You're the beneficiary of somebody that started somewhere a company that, praise God, they had enough money, and then they started a company and they gave you a job and hired you. Be glad for profit. Profit is awesome. Profit is good. It's the love of money that is the root of evil. And you see, I'm I'm not saying that our desire should be to be poor. No, the, the issue here was that they didn't care anymore because they were okay. Let me tell you, if there's... Michelle and I moved here in uh, the fall of 2002. And so this, this is way before Clearview. But if there's one thing that has consistently broken my heart about the spiritual barometer of our county, it, first of all, it, it is a great place to raise kids. I mean, man, wow. It is a wonderful place to live. And every time you go outside of this place, you realize how thankful you are to, to get to live somewhere like that. I mean, it's a wonderful place to live. But I'm talking spiritually. I'm not talking economically. I'm not talking about neighborhoods. I'm not talking about the cars you drive. I'm talking about inside here, the heart. One of the things that has broken my heart is the fact that our wealth can often be our coffin, Spiritually. Because we're willing to do all kinds of things with our money except fund the kingdom of God. We'll send our kids to the finest colleges. That is wonderful. I love it. Do it. Yes. Send them anywhere. But Alabama, I'm just kidding. That's not that's just a joke. That's totally joking. That's, that's just a joke. It's a total joke. It's not football season yet, and I'm hanging in there. Football, football jokes will escalate as, as September gets here. No. Send them to the best schools. Send, send, get your kids the best opportunities. But listen to me. For all of you that are parents and all of you that are dads on Father's Day, what does it matter if your sons and daughters get the best education, but they don't know Jesus What does it matter if they become a CEO of a Fortune 500 or a Fortune 100 or a Fortune 50 company? What does it matter if your daughter becomes uh, uh, the the CEO of, of an amazing media company, but yet she cares nothing about the kingdom of God? What does it matter? What does, it, what does it matter, dads, if you grow? And I know the pressure. Listen, man, I'm telling you, fathers, I mean it when I say it to you. Very few, very few. Dads understand the, 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 the pressure that you have on you to provide for your family. That is a felt pressure for a dad. And ladies, I, I know you have, you have pressures of running the home. And I've said, I'm going to say this, I've said it a lot in my life, that I don't think we understand as men, I don't think we understand the pressure a, a, a lady feels to keep the home running. I mean, that's just there's a big burden there to do that and and yet at the same time I think that a a lot of women don't understand the pressure a man feels when it means to providing for the family because we're made like that we're we're made to feel like we've got to we've got to it's it's on us you know and and we know it's not on us it's on the Lord but there's a pressure there and I, I want you to know that's a real thing but I'm saying to you parents 
husbands, wives, whether you have kids or not, whether you're not married or not. The truth is, the anointing of God isn't tied to your wealth. It's tied to your hunger for the Lord. The problem, the problem with the people in Amos and the problem with the people in Sardis was they really weren't concerned anymore. They really weren't concerned. Can you, can you guys imagine? Do, do y'all know something? I, this isn't in my notes. I'm just kind of going with it because it's just been one of those kind of days. So let's fast and pray for a second so that I don't, you know, go too far off the rails here. Can, can you imagine? You know what statistics show? Statistics show. This isn't, this isn't tied to Clearview. This is the Christian church in America. In America. Statistics show that less than 3% of Christians honor God with their money. Less than 3%. Less than 3% tithe to the Lord. They'll beg God for a job, but when he gives them one, they don't obey. It's the strangest psychology I've seen. Can you imagine what would happen what Clearview Baptist Church could do if we just were faithful. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen in America if Christians all of a sudden decided, you know what? I'm going to stop living in disobedience with my money. And I'm going to honor the Lord Jesus. Buddy, you think we couldn't see a dent in this country for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, man. We could do great things. Obedience offers great outcomes that we could see. You know, I heard, uh, I heard a man, uh, Mark Quartz, he's on in heaven now, and I was listening to a sermon of his from like the 80s, and, and he was a very, very well-known preacher in North Carolina. And I'm driving down the road four or five months ago, and I, and I heard Mark say something, and I, it, just, it wasn't like deep, but it just really washed over me. He said, and he wasn't even preaching about money, he was just preaching about your impact on life. And he said, you know what? He said, the only way that you can live forever on earth. Now, you're going to live forever if you're in Christ in heaven, right? But the only way you can live forever on earth is by what you did with your money. What did you invest in? I thought, man, I got to get rich. That was a pretty good joke, but it, it, in my mind, it went better in my mind than it did out there. But I'm like, I, I could do more for the kingdom of God and leave it behind. And it challenged me. So here's the question. What are they asked to do? Because I got I to gotta go here. What, what, what are they told to do here in this book? What, what's the response, right? Well, look in verse 2. Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain in which you're about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. He tells them to open their eyes. See, they're, they're told to literally come out of your sleep. Come out of your sleep. What did I tell you? Conversion, conversion manifests itself in what? Consistent hunger, right? Conversion manifests itself in consistent hunger. Wake up. Wake up. So how, how does that matter right now? 
I want you to look around at your culture, friends. I'm going to get super practical now for a second. And if you haven't been listening to me, especially those of you on the live stream, okay? See, I'm just picking on the live stream people because I can't see them. No, but really, if you're listening to me right now, I want you to to tune in for a second. Stay with me because the Lord is about to challenge you. You hear me? I'm serious. The Lord's going to challenge you this morning. I believe it. I've believed it all week as I've put this together. Right now in our culture, we see something that's really happening often. We see a lot of people right now uh, caring about a lot of things. And it's not just recently with the race issue. I mean, this is going on really since the advent of social media. You have people constantly advocating for causes. And, and there's a term for it, by the way. It's called virtue signaling. If you don't know what virtue signaling is, let me, let me tell you what it is. Let me put, let's go to the next one there. I think we've got, yeah, there, there you go. It's called virtue signaling. And what it basically means is it's moral outrage for recycling or moral outrage over world hunger, which is good. Moral outrage. And so people are, they post about things they care about, virtue signaling. But here's the, the problem. The problem is that many people will post, but they actually don't ever do anything. Now, awareness is good. Don't, don't, mis, don't misquote me. Awareness is good. But let me tell you, awareness will never rescue a child from trafficking. Somebody's got to actually go and step into that world. Awareness will never actually stop abortion. A woman's got to say, I'm not going to do it. And a man does have to say the same thing. See, it takes two for that there. Awareness is great. So you see a lot of people signaling outrage, and they should. It's good. But we got to do something. Let me tell you what your, what your church did recently. Your church, Clearview Baptist Church. Let me show you an image right here. This, in, on this stage, it wasn't huge. You know, Fox News sadly didn't cover it. CNN didn't cover it. MSNBC didn't cover it. My gosh, WSMV didn't even cover it. But Peter Giannis and Coach Bernard Jones and me, we got on this stage and we didn't just send out a post, we actually talked. Somebody asked me after the three men, three colors, and one Lord happened, they said, Jason, what was, like, what, what was your goal there? And it was a positive question. They weren't like, what was your goal? No, what, what was, I said, you know what my goal was? To just talk. We've got to talk. And we've got to take action for this. And by the way, Coach Jones sent me a text this week. He said, hey, man. I got to tell you, I'm getting a lot of people telling me that was good from people from the black community. See, we did something. It wasn't loud, but your church actually did something. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people in our church that do something. Jesus told them to wake up. Let me show you one family in our church that, that literally God used Ron, Ron and Marty Lucas. That's at our recent student banquet luncheon right there. That's Ron there in the white and Marty back there in the yellow. You know what they did? They altered their lives. Did you hear me? They altered their lives and they moved to the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home. And what they did 
was they began to say, you know what? We're not just gonna sit there and shake our heads and say, ain't it bad that young boys and young girls that are having to be pulled out of horrible domestic situations that they have nowhere to go and the Baptist Children's Home needs parents. They changed their lives and they met the Lord God on a call. You see, they actually did that. That's a family that actually literally altered their lives. I'll tell you somebody else you've met before who altered his life, Ronnie Floyd. Look at what Ronnie did. You've heard Ronnie preach on this stage. He's the CEO of the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee. But you know what Ronnie did? Ronnie saw that, that our people groups, our ethnic groups, every tribe, every tongue, that we, we needed representation and we needed to carry the gospel to Asians and Latinos and the black community. So what did Ronnie do? Well, first of all, he hired Willie. How about Willie? Say amen. amen. We love Willie, baby. Willie's still doing the best he can, right? <laughs> Willie's awesome if you've ever met Willie. So Willie's, Willie's he's at top command up there. And there's Peter Giannis, who you, you've seen here. They're members of Clearview now. And, and then there's Julio with, going with the Hispanic Initiative. But what did Ronnie do? What Ronnie did was, was Ronnie squeezed his network. He squeezed his network. He had a platform, so he used it. And people like Peter and Irene Giannis here, yeah, that, that's, that's uh, Christian and Sakina. And, and so they, they, they literally altered their lives. And so you're thinking, yeah, Jason, but their, their career... They're career people, they're, 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 they're career missionaries, they're career ministers, kind of like you, Jason. And I wanna say something to you guys. Hear me out, I'm almost done, but stay with me. Don't leave yet. We're almost out of here, but don't leave. Do you know that most of you, hear me clearly, most of you, God will never call you to go out into a new career path most of you, God is going to call to make a difference right where you are. In your company, in your neighborhood. So let me tell you how it's going to look for a lot of you. It may not look like Willie or Peter and Irene or Julio and Carla. It may not look like Ronnie. It may not look like the Lucas family. But let me give you what I think is way more like what God's call on your life looked like. Look at, look at Tommy and Tammy and Bob. I couldn't find a picture of Bob. Um, but that's Tommy Camp, see? Tommy's sitting right here this morning. And that's Tammy Ogle. Tommy and, and Tammy and Bob and many other volunteers, they, they run our room in the end ministry. You may not realize it, but Clearview Baptist Church, how many years, Tommy? Since they started, I think. I, I can't it's more than 20 Way more than 20 years, Clearview Baptist Church has been involved in helping the homeless in Nashville. Your church does that. Tommy's a retired police officer. Tammy's been an accountant. Listen, th this is what it looks like to just step into a calling, and they, they did it. Some of you are more normal. That, that is the norm. People that said, I'm not just going to. Post on Facebook. Posting is great. I'm not just going to post on Twitter. I'm not just going to say, I'm not just going to give a few dollars from time to time. I'm actually going to change my life. I'm going to alter my life. I'm, I'm going to do something some, somewhere. Many of you are really burdened right now over race. I'm still, I've been watching and I've been, just this week I, I watched a few interviews with people trying to learn more just on my own. Some of you are really bothered, and you should be bothered. It is, it is sin, but you know what? Do something. Go to your CEO and say, hey, you know what? How, how can I help make this better in my company? 
You think that wouldn't be a, a welcome sight? For many CEOs, it would be. They're looking for answers too. If you've got the right motive and if you've got the right heart. Some of you, you're bothered about single moms, and you should be, man. I know uh, Michelle and I have known many single moms over the years. Oh, my stars. I think there's a special place in heaven for single moms. And you're, you're hurt. Walk into HR and say, listen, let me put a task force together, and we can do something about this. You see, it's going to take people doing something. It's going to take people doing something. We can't just virtue signal. We can't just talk about it. We can't just continue to hope. So, you ever thought about this word, they? They, they ought to. I don't know who. I've never met they. But evidently, there's a they out there that has like a puppeteering ability to control everybody. They ought, they ought to do something about the potholes. Right? It's true. I've done it. I catch myself. You know, they ought to fix that. You know, I do it all the time. But they don't change the world. And they didn't come up when Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel. Let me tell you something. Right now, in the bank, in Franklin, Tennessee, there's an account with Clearview Baptist Church's name on it. And there's a fund called the Impact Missions Fund. It's got $294,000 in it. I checked this week. I don't look at the records. I mean, I call the people that know. I don't want to see who gives what. Right? I said, how much money, Danielle, do we have in that thing? She said, two ninety-four. Listen to me. That is more money than most churches have in their budget. And it is sitting there waiting on you waiting on you and let me tell you something God gives you a burden that's more than just you hoping somebody does something but you got a, a holy itch put me together a proposal I'll walk you right in front of the missions committee and I'll advocate for you I will sit with you and listen they're they're gonna listen they're gonna they're, that money is there to, to do missions with. Some of you are bothered right now. You're deeply bothered by race tension and race problems for hundreds of years in our community and our culture. You should be. But let me tell you, if you're finding yourself laying awake at night about race, that's not you being bothered. That could be a calling friend. Some of you are bothered about homelessness. Some of you are bothered about poverty. Some of you are bothered about child abuse right here in polished, perfect Williamson County. There's children that get abused, and you think about it often. Listen, that's called a calling. Do something. We've got money. We've got money. Do something. Do something. You say, Jason, why does this matter so much to you? Why does it matter? It matters to me because one day when Jesus changed my life, a calling came with it. And the moment that I stepped into that calling, I've never, since that day, I have never woken up in my life when I didn't know why I was put on this earth. And I want to tell you, friend, the feeling of knowing why you get up every day the word addiction doesn't do it justice. 
Fulfillment doesn't do it justice. Peace giving, life giving. There's many days it's hard. But I'm telling you, for you to get up every day and go, I know why God birthed me into this world. Just tomorrow, tomorrow there's going to be an email go out to our church. It's going to also be posted on our website. I wrote a post about what to do when burdens show up. What to do when burdens show up. That's me with several Moldovan orphans. Listen, I, didn't, I don't just speak this stuff. I put my money where, you know, and my, my time where my talk is. For many years, I've been involved in, in, in human trafficking and sex slavery. And, and it's been a few years since I've been to Moldova. And I, I'm anxious to go back. I did a lot of work there. That's why people like Ron and Marty are so important to me. It's why Mercy UK is so important to me. It's why Mercy in Brentwood is so important to me. Because I've seen this stuff. Those those kids right there. You see that? That little girl on the far left? That's Alina. Michelle and I sponsored her for three years. I met her parents. Family of four former Soviet country, and they had an apartment that was a 12 by 12, family of four, one light bulb hanging from a ceiling, and they slept in chairs. Their sink was about that big, and I literally stepped over beer bottles everywhere and no lights going upstairs into that former, the communists put people in those type of environments, and they put them like in big dorms, and that's where her family lived. She had nothing. See, when I saw that, then it wasn't human trafficking anymore. It was Alina. And I'm telling you, God is going to burden some of you. And I want you to read that article and I want you to pray over it when it goes out tomorrow. I want to show you one last thing about answers. Some of you need answers. And we got an email address right there. God is calling many of you to wake up like Sardis. This matters to Jesus. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast... Think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world. Is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.